Today's episode contains sensitive subject matter concerning sexual assault. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the first ever Snoozecast, where the state news takes an in-depth look into the biggest stories while bringing new perspectives from the reporters who wrote them. I'm campus news editor Mila Murray. And I'm copy editor McKenna Ross. From Michigan State's independent student voice, this is Snoozecast. On January 24th, 2018, Judge Rosemary Aquilina told Larry Nasser she had just signed his death warrant sentencing him to 40 to 175 years in prison. Our issue that was published this past Thursday commemorated the one-year anniversary of the moment when Nasser was brought to justice and the strength and persistence of the survivors in the wake of the sentencing. In today's episode, we'll talk to the reporters behind the stories. Emma Ann Miller made headlines last year as the youngest person to speak at Ingham County Victim Impact Statements. At 15 years old, Emma Ann, with her mother Leslie, had her at her side, stared down her abuser, and told him he was finished stealing time from her. Managing editor Matt Schmucker has been interviewing the Millers since last summer and has been following along as they've spoken at MSU Board of Trustees meetings and advocated for Nasser survivors. Thanks for coming in today. Why did you write specifically about the Millers? I met Leslie Miller at the Board of Trustees meeting in April. So at that Board of Trustees meeting, uh, there was an issue with getting the parents of the survivors up to the Board of Trustees meeting where they were trying to speak just because of the capacity of the boardroom. So they were stuck down in the lobby for a while, and I was covering that. And uh, I Le- Leslie is... I, I talk about this in my in my piece a little bit, but Leslie is like just a soccer mom of like all of these Nasser survivor parents, and it's absolutely hilarious the the way that Leslie will talk about her daughter. Just her daughter is the best, and you have to know about her daughter. And it's Emma Ann Miller. It's not just Emma Miller. And I saw uh, I saw Leslie a bunch uh, later on throughout the summer, uh, just because she was pretty active and vocal in the community, and. Uh, she was always super nice, and it was somebody that I thought will be willing to open up a little bit. Were there any difficulties in interviewing a now 16-year-old girl about such a personal experience? So the difficulty wasn't in interviewing Emma Ann Miller at all, because she speaks super eloquently, I guess. But um, the difficulty was really in writing about uh, Emma Ann Miller as a 16-year-old, because I wasn't 16-year-old too long ago, and I remember being 16. and. That's kind of a moment in your life where uh, everything that anybody says about you, uh, just you look at it a lot. So I wanted to make sure I was being super sensitive about that because uh, it, it's, it's a tough time in your life and it's a really tough time for her because she's been through a lot. So I wanted to make sure I was ultra sensitive to that. So you're also a managing editor, like I said before. So can you tell us a little bit about this issue in general? So this issue is one that we've been thinking about for a while. And just because all of these stories are so important to tell, um, uh, we, we've even been talking that the, the most important story on our campus has been for a while and will continue to be for a while, the, the Nasser scandal and the fallout from that. So um, actually hearing the survivors' voices in in an issue like this was something that we thought was super important and having having an issue that was kind of focused more directly on that as opposed to 
Nasser himself we thought was really important. Like even personally in my story, I wrote the lead for my story several times and it began with Nasser's name or Larry Nasser at the start of it and I had to go through and rewrite it several times because I thought it was super important that Emma Ann Miller was the focus of Emma Ann Miller's story and not Larry Nasser. Thanks for coming in, Matt. Thank you. Someday I will be whole again. And Larry, the thing you didn't realize while you were sexually assaulting me and all of these young girls and breaking our lives is that you were also building an army of survivors who would ultimately expose you for what you truly are, a sexual predator. That was Amanda Tomashow during her victim impact statements in January of 2018. The Army of Survivors is an organization formed by Nasser survivors to bring awareness to the systematic problem of sexual abuse of child athletes. This organization aims to become a nonprofit by summer of 2019 at the latest. Academics reporter Claire Moore has worked on a long-form piece on the Army of Survivors over the period of many months. She's here to talk about this group, the work they do, and the sister survivors behind the scenes. Welcome, Claire. Thank you, Mila. This past fall, I reached out to Grace French, a NASA survivor and president of the Army. When I talked to her, she'd already been working on building this organization from the ground up since about summer 2018. What inspired her to create an entire organization to advocate for survivors like her? So Grace was inspired um, by watching Rachel Denhollander during her victim impact statement. It was during the statements that survivors kind of realized the other survivors were their sisters. Um, they all realized they went through similar things and were brought together through kind of the most horrible of circumstances. The nonprofit that Grace started is kind of born out of that. Um, it will advocate for child athletes who have endured uh, traumatic sexual abuse and work to ensure that something like Nasser will never happen again. What does the Army of Survivors hope to achieve with their advocacy? So, so far, they focused on helping survivors find resources to help them recover, whether that's helping them find legal avenues, mental health services, or whatever they might need. With their new mission statement um, that came out in December, they say they want that scope to extend from you know, child athletes that play t-ball all the way up to collegiate athletes in the NCAA. And what motivated you to tell the story? For one, Nasser has been relegated to a prison cell. I thought it was imperative a year later to show that this story is no longer about him. He's irrelevant. Writing this was a way to show that it is the survivor's time, that despite everything that's happened to them over the past year, they are on their way to recovery and healing. That's what is most significant here, and that needed to be emphasized. Administration reporter Riley Murdoch was in the courtroom that day a year ago and reported when Nasser was sentenced. Riley, what was it like reporting on that historic moment? It was kind of surreal. I was typing so fast, trying to keep up with what everyone was saying, trying to send tweets, trying to get a story ready. I never really absorbed the feeling of the room, but it was hectic for me. For the survivors, I think it felt more like a moment of reprieve. I can't speak for them, of course, but I remember some of them rejoicing after Nasser had been led away in cuffs. And you met Rachel Denhollander, the first survivor to publicly accuse Nasser, for the first time at that hearing. What was that like? I was honestly kind of starstruck. Rachel's done so much and made such a massive impact in so many people's lives, you know. I was <laughs> super nervous, but in spite of everything she's gone through and how busy she is, she's incredibly nice. She's just a very kind person. For last week's issue, you spoke to her about her life one year after the sentencing. 
What were the points that she made regarding moving forward? Well, Rachel really emphasized that her work is not done, that the sentencing wasn't really the end of anything. She's still an advocate. She's still pushing for accountability at MSU. She's not going anywhere until MSU is truly done right by the survivors. She said two steps that would signal that would be opening the presidential search and waiving attorney-client privilege in the attorney general's investigation. And can you explain what that is to our audience? Yes. Uh, After several listening sessions were held to sort of gauge the community's response and what the community wants out of a new president, right now that search process is closed, and the stated reason for that is that apparently in most presidential searches, to attract the presidents of current universities to sort of apply for the job, they try to keep that process closed so that these people don't have to publicly disclose they're looking for a different job. Okay, and what about attorney-client privilege? So there's a number of documents that are currently being protected by attorney-client privilege so that the attorney general's investigation can't access those documents yet. Uh, I don't have any insight as to what might be a part of those documents, but currently the university's protecting them from being reviewed. And the investigation, as well as a lot of advocates, say that they should waive that privilege in this case so that a thorough and complete picture of what occurred and what allowed Nasser to thrive at MSU for so long can be, can be looked at, can be achieved. Right. I'm sure that they want the public to be able to see what the entire investigation was like. Mm-hmm. Thanks for coming in today, Riley. Thank you. I appreciate it. A look ahead at this week's news. Former president of MSU Lou Anna K. Simon begins her scheduled three-day preliminary hearings this Thursday to determine if there's enough evidence for her case to go to trial. As a part of the Attorney General's ongoing investigation into MSU's mishandling of Nasser, Simon was interviewed by police who asked her if she was aware of any investigation into Nasser's misconduct prior to 2016. She said no, but police say they have evidence that proves otherwise. Cops and Courts reporter Anna Liz Nichols will be live-tweeting court proceedings Thursday and Friday. You can follow the developments on Twitter at Anna Liz Nichols or at The S News. Thank you for listening to Snoozecast, where the state news takes an in-depth look into the biggest stories while bringing new perspectives from the reporters who wrote them. You can find us on Twitter at TSNCast and at The S News, on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com forward slash state news, and always online at statenews.com. I'm Campus News Editor Mila Murray. And I'm Copy Editor McKenna Ross. Listen next week for more insight behind our stories. Thank you to Silent Partner and Doug Maxwell for their songs Awakening and Cast of Pods. You can find their music linked in the description.